that said, Rowena, we got Zach on the line. What do you want to ask him? What advice would you give to someone that's looking to invest in a competitive market like Arizona? When you're looking at a competitive market, you know, you're not going to start off getting off-market deals. You have to crank volume to do this, right? It's, yeah. it's a grind. It's almost like you have to think of yourself as you are marketing yourself to the brokers, okay? And initially, they're going to be like, who are you? I don't want to waste your time. And you have to get over that fear, right? but you have to be relentless and crank the volume. And then either you or, or you have a partner who's constantly underwriting deals so you can promptly give feedback to the brokers. What happens is these brokers will start to respect you because they see the work you're putting in. They see that you're competitive and that you're, you're pushing it, pushing it, and they might throw you an off-market deal. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert series. And once again, we got two amazing people on the line with us today. We got Zach Happenstahl and Rowena Augustine. So first, we'll talk about Zach. He's CEO and founder of Rise 48 Equity. And you know, we're going to put his full bio in the show notes so you can check it out. But you know, that said, Zach, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you having me on. This is really cool. I, I've never seen a format like this. So I'm excited to, to go back and forth here with Rowena. And I, I like the format. So I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. And we'll look forward to bringing some value to your listeners. You know, as, as with anything creative that comes out of the Four Oaks brand, it wasn't my idea. You know, I'm, I'm not the creative right. type. This was... Uh, that's good. Um, this is one of my partner's ideas. And it was just a, you know, once once he he said it, I was just like, that's it. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, but, it's uh, unique. That's cool. Because there's yeah. so many podcasts now. And this one, I mean, I get your emails even, and it's unique when you see that yeah. stuff. Cool. You know, and so so here's here's how it launched, or here's how here's how the idea came about two years ago. You know, the the four founders of Four Oaks got together in Dallas for Dealmaker Live. And it was almost exactly two years ago because that event's coming around next week or week after yeah. next. But I was uh, at that event, 2019. Yeah, I was there. You were there. Okay. Well, that well, yeah. Maybe we met. So we bumped into each other or something and then we just yeah. kept going. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to search through all that stack of business cards that I kept yeah, to right. see if there, yeah. there's one with you on there. But before the event, we, we had like two days of you know bonding, planning, planning time, everything like that, but just planning what we were going to do. And we had the idea for the podcast. And it was going to be the run-of-the-mill vanilla podcast interview. But as we were going through DealMaker, I swear, everybody that we talked to, hey, I'm launching a podcast. Hey, I just launched a podcast. Hey, have you guys heard about my new podcast? You right. know, and you know, at the end of the day, we came back together. We're just like, we, we can't do it. We can't do that just same vanilla podcast. Sure. Anyway, that's, that's it. Oh, I, but, like uh, it. I like it. That's cool. So cool. Well, anyway, Zach, are, are you going to DML later this month? We're not. No, we don't have any plans. We're kind of just hunkered down here in, in mm-hmm. Phoenix. We'll stay inside because it's really hot and we're, we're yep. fortunate to be busy. So we're just going to focus on, on our deals and, and getting that yeah. stuff. Out. Better to do deals and talk about deals. So um, there we yeah, go. We're, we're great. Well, for, yeah. 
Well, I was hope, hoping to have a chance to, to meet you face to face and remember you this time, but next, you know, time. I, next time, next time, I'm sure. So let's do this. Talk, tell us about yourself. Uh, I've talked way too much already, but uh, tell us about yourself and uh, lead us up to what got you into multifamily. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Brian. So, yeah, I mean, I was born and raised in Phoenix, you know, didn't really have much of a real estate background or any experience. I mean, I have a journalism degree and then I, I have an MBA. I went into healthcare marketing and, you know, I was, I was blessed to be making good money, making six figures, you know, at my early twenties um, through this marketing, this marketing job I had. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I was doing well, but I, I did that for four years. You know, I paid off my school debt, bought a house, you know, I was in, I was in a good position financially, but I just wasn't satisfied, you know, and I, I wanted, you know, to, to do something bigger um, and something I was passionate about, something I could really scale. So, you know, long story short in January, 2018, you know, I resigned, I sold um, some of the equity I had in that company mm-hmm. and I started to live off savings for the next 12 months and figure out how to make, how to create passive income through real estate. Okay. So, I didn't know anything about multifamily or syndication. I wasn't even thinking multifamily when I quit the job. I was just thinking real estate in general. Yeah. I, had no, I didn't have like a rich uncle or no family money. I, I was not wealthy, no, not, not, not a high net worth, high liquidity or anything. I was initially looking at flipping homes. And then I realized that's transactional. It's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I looked at mobile home parks. You know, I started cold calling mobile home park owners. I had about it was like 260 to 300 K okay, of cash that I had relentlessly okay. saved following the Dave Ramsey plan, like the previous four years. And I got a little bump yeah. from inequity. And so, and so I was, I was blessed in that regard, right? I had, you know, these savings I could live off of. <clears throat> so anyways, long story short, I discovered multifamily, discovered syndication. You know, I grinded through, I went through a lot of adversity, just burning through my savings, waking up every mm-hmm. morning, wondering what do I do today? Um, it took 10 months from when I quit the job to get our first deal under contract and we closed yep. in it four months later. So it was like, it was 14 months, you know, from when I quit the job to actually getting the first deal done. And from there, we were able to learn, build the momentum that was in 2019 and, and build out our syndication platform. So ever since then, you know, we've, we've acquired now, geez, about 100, 180, 190 million worth of real estate. The last couple wow. of years, um, 13, 1400 units, we have another 107 million under contract to close by the end of August. So we've been very blessed, you know, in the next couple of months, looking back, it'll be about 300 million that we've acquired, you know, all through mm-hmm. a syndication platform with no experience. And, and so yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of what we do. So we're, we're really like your typical, you know, value add syndicators where we're going in there and, and, you know, trying to add value to, to B class assets and A and B yeah. areas. And so we're, we're just focused here in Phoenix. And that's where all of our deals have been so far. So let's let's dissect that a little more. I mean, that's that's a, a big number in, in asset center management. How did how did you go from zero in 2018 to the point to where you could close on big properties like that? Uh, did you uh, did yeah. you have to partner? Did you have? I mean, did you uh, join into any coaching or mentoring programs? Let's, let's unpack that a little more. Yeah, yeah, good question. So yeah, the, the first six months, you know, I spent all on my own, basically, like reading books, listening to podcasts like yours, Brian, and and trying to absorb as much content as I could. And through that process, I was like, I need to get out there. So I started cold calling brokers, lenders, management companies, insurance, and meeting with all these guys, building a team. But still, I didn't have, and I was trying to find partners, but I I couldn't find the right partners. And it felt like everybody I would meet with, I'm trying to like educate them and sell them on this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, then I was like, I need to, I need to collapse this timeframe. So I started going to conferences, right? So I started going to multifamily conferences in Dallas, Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which we were talking about, you know, and I did join a mentorship program. I dropped 30K to join a mentorship program. And the way I viewed it at the time, 
And again, I was already burning through cash, right? So it was like for me to spend that kind of money was was several months worth of survival in the way I was living at that time. Um, And so I I joined that. I I viewed it as buying a network because basically if you're going to drop 30K, you're probably serious, right? It's a higher area entry. And so I met my two partners through that program, um, which was really good. You know, I met Vikram Sandhu. He's he's now our CFO. Um, Mm -hmm. He has a very complimentary skill set to me where he's got the economics degree, CPA, financial analysis, whereas I'm, I'm more of sourcing deals and equity. And then I met Robert Shevchik, our, he's, who's now our mm-hmm. chief construction officer. He had the net worth liquidity for us to qualify for these loans. And so, you know, I joined that program and I also joined it because the, the point of the program was that you can meet people and you can raise equity um, by meeting these people. And what we found, you know, after a few months was that, you know, these, these people really weren't interested in Phoenix, you know, so we didn't get a lot of value from the program as far as raising equity and our first deal um, we did after joining that program, we actually did not syndicate. Okay. We mm-hmm. wanted to syndicate it, but we couldn't raise the money. So we got it under contract. We did, we got no value from the program in regards to equity. Robert and I were each 25K non-refundable. 30 days go by. We had to raise 1.4 million. It was a 36 unit, $3.4 million deal in Phoenix, mm-hmm. that first one. I'm like, oh crap, what do we do? You know what I mean? So I, I actually met a lady at a conference. She had sold, she had recently sold a 12 unit deal in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And she reached out to me and said, Hey, I heard you have this deal. How about I 1031 exchange? And she brought over 600 K and we do a tenant in common, a tick structure. Mm-hmm. And I said over 600 K. Yeah, let's do it. And then I said, what's a tick structure? You know, I had no idea <laughs> what, what that was. And right. so the so long story short at the, I had about, I had burned through a lot of money. I had about 165 K left. I put 160 into the deal. Right. So I was all in It's pretty much all my cash that I had left. And that was pretty much all my network, by the way. Robert put in nearly 300K. I met Bikron. He put in like a buck 50. And I found a couple other people yeah. to put, put in bigger chunks. So we did tenant in common. We bootstrapped it and we made it work. Right. So we closed wow. it. And the good thing about that was that we, we got to learn firsthand how to execute the acquisition process, asset management, mm-hmm. all these things, you know, where we were really nitty gritty in the details, which, which allowed us not only gain the experience, but to gain the confidence and the momentum, you know, to yeah. keep going. And so once we got that first deal, it, it really helped our track record because it was performing well. And, you know, we kind of just, we kept rolling. So, I mean, shortly after that, I, I was like, I'm out of money. I need more money if I want to keep doing deals. So I sold my house. I was never going to sell that house. Bob, when I was 23, at this time, I was like, I'm 29 now. I was like 26, 27 at the time. So and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Grace, I was like, babe, we have to unload the house. So sold the house. I had like 120K come out. I wired 100K non-refundable the next week into a portfolio of two deals. We did another tenant in common, and then we syndicated our first deal. So I was all in, really. It was really just, you know, relentless networking, finding the right people to partner with, um, to find complementary skill sets whose strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa. And, you know, through that process, we, we were able to just quickly learn and, and build that momentum, you know, and as those deals, we, we sold that first deal, that was a lot of momentum. And, and that helped us to, to really gain track record, to continue to scale yeah. and, and raise additional funds. Okay. So that's, that's really been kind of the biggest thing where I spent 14 months in the front end with nothing to show. And it's yeah. really, it, it's really tough psychologically, mentally, emotionally, because I, I kind of lost all my confidence and I lost yeah. my self identity. You know what I mean? Because I, I came from this healthcare industry where I was 
you know, elite, so to speak, like in all humility, I was dominating my market. And I knew when I would wake up every morning, what I had to do, you know, I was mm-hmm. making 200 K plus a year to now making nothing, having no direction, having nobody to tell you where to go. And if you're doing the right things, so it was tough, but, but through yeah. that process, you, you develop a lot of character and thick skin, so to speak too, because a lot of yeah. people say you can't do it. And you start to develop this mentality where it's like, well, screw you because I'm going to do it, you know? And, yeah. and that's really helped. That's really helped as we've grown too, because as you get bigger, you take on more challenges, more stress, more adversity. And so it's so a long story short, you know, we've been very blessed. Now we have a business office here. We have, in addition to the three principals, we have five full-time W-2 salaried employees. Um, mm-hmm. We're about to hire two more people. And now we're building out that infrastructure, but it just goes to show, you know, yeah. it does take, you always hear like the cliche analogies, like the rocket ship spends most of the fuel or most of the energy to get off the ground. And then when it's up in the air, you get that exponential growth. Well, we've yep. really been seeing that, you know, firsthand. And that's, that was kind of how we got to that point. Yeah. A lot, a lot of things to unpack there. I mean, 14 months, you know, and you, you were working full time. I know, I know a lot of people who right. have spent a lot more than 14 months looking for their first deal, you know, and for me, and it really depends on when you start, you know, start the stopwatch, you know, right. the first right. podcast that I listened, you know, for me, if you start, start the stopwatch, the first time I toured a multifamily property, it took me more than 14 months too. you know? So I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize it takes yeah. time. You know, it takes a lot of time. It takes and a lot of time. And they don't realize too, Brian, that you don't make any money really in the beginning. We're just now making no. money this year. Okay. You don't get yeah. like rich. You don't get rich quick. It's a grind. It's just like any business. You have to invest on the front end, you know, and really yeah. run lean until you can get to that point. So, yeah. And, and for, for a lot of people, I mean, you were fortunate to have, you know, savings to back, right. you know, to, right. to back you up and let you go full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't but have a lot kids of people, or anything either. I don't have a, yeah. I didn't have a family at that time, you know, and, and yep. it's a girlfriend. So yeah, it's different. Yeah. At the time, you know, when, when I started, I couldn't do that. I mean, well, legally I couldn't do it because, you know, I was obligated to the Marine Corps for more time, but you know, yeah. you know, it's something else that, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff to unpack there. And, you know, it, it's also a lot of people think that, hey, once I close on one deal, you know, I'll be financially free. No, you won't is the answer. Um, you know, and, and our company is very, very similar. You know, we, we don't have as many units or assets under management, but, you know, the first two years, we haven't taken much of anything out of the company. You know, everything that's gone in has gone towards that next deal. You know, you, you said you sold a house to sold a house to, to put in a hundred thousand dollar non-refundable or deposit EMD on a property. I did the same thing. You know, I, I sold one of the houses that I had and I'd been renting out for a long time. And it was just like, I need this money. I need to be able somebody has to put down this, it's 50, $80,000 EMD. But uh, anyway, we roll a lot of our profits forward and building. building. So uh, that's, that's great. I love it. So, I mean, you, you've talked a little bit about your why, but if you could, you know, boil that down for us, what is your big burning why? You know, I, I played sports growing up, played a little bit of college football. So I've always been kind of a very competitive person. That's why I liked, you know, doing healthcare sales. It was very competitive and you're not, you don't have a ceiling on your achievement or your compensation, so to speak, which is what I like. Mm-hmm. But then I just wasn't satisfied and I felt like I wasn't being challenged. And so, you know, initially my why was I was burnt out doing something I wasn't mm-hmm. passionate about and I wanted to gain control back of my time. And, you know, the cliche of financial freedom, all that stuff. That's what I was looking yeah. for. And, and so, so that's why I originally got into it, you know, initially to, to do that. Um, but then as I started to realize the power of multifamily and syndication, how you can scale it, I realized, you know what, if I'm going to do something, if I'm going to go all in, I want it to be huge. You know, I want it to be, I want it to be as big as possible. 
And yeah. this is something you can truly scale. And so it's really just the competitive, the competitive nature and, and the excitement, you know, of the size, the pressure, uh, things like that, that, that really drives me. Our goals are, you know, are pretty ambitious to, to grow it. And people ask me this all the time. And honestly, I don't, I, my, my goals are abstract, but my goal is to become a billionaire by age 40. And it's not mm-hmm. to like be rich and spend money on stupid stuff. I don't even really spend the money I have now. It's, it's more, you know, just to have a, a very big goal um, mm-hmm. so that you're constantly driving towards it. And I want to have, you know, financial resources and the social network to make a big impact later on um, mm-hmm. in whatever cause that may be. And so my background is, you know, I have a journalism degree. I was a live news anchor, sports reporter, Arizona PBS. You know, I went into healthcare sales. So I think it's going to be some combination of media business, mm-hmm. potentially politics. I don't know what it is yet, but I, I know that, um, you know, I just want to build that, those resources now. And then, I mean, I just got married last year, Grace and I just got married. We plan to have at least five kids, you know, we're going to have a big family. So a good number. Yeah. And, and I mean, I was always, I was always younger, like in my early mid twenties working with, you know, people who are in their forties and fifties. And so I see a lot of the challenges that come later in life. And my whole philosophy was if I can create financial freedom and a, and a good foundation now, then I can spend more time with my kids in the future, you know, and, and do a lot of the things that a lot of these people say they want to do when they're in their forties, fifties, sixties, and, and things that my parents who are lower middle-class, you know, growing up never could do. I don't, okay. my biggest fear really is, is like mediocrity. You know, I don't want to ever feel like I'm stuck somewhere. I would rather lose it all knowing that I went for everything than just kind of be status quo and, and unsatisfied. And, and that, that's what multifamily kind of has allowed us, allowed us to do. So that's, that's really kind of what drives us and keeps us going. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Great. So let's, let's talk, we talked a little bit about your first deal. Is, is there another deal you want to talk about today? Something you can, you can give a little more detail on? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point, right? I mean, probably a lot of the listeners and everybody who, who is familiar somewhat with value at multifamily understands okay. that the basic premise is you buy a deal, you renovate it to push the rents in order to increase the value and to sell it. And in, in Phoenix, it's so hot. It's so competitive, hot, literally temperature wise, but I mean the market. Yeah. That made, made me yeah. smile when you said I, that. Because, I know. Yeah, yeah. No pun intended. That was not an yeah. intended pun, but I, I turned yeah. it in. But, but so basically in, in Phoenix, we can't only have value add to make these deals work because the, the mm-hmm. cap rates are very compressed. It's very competitive. Um, a lot of what we do is looking for operational improvements burning off lots to lease, et cetera. So I, yeah, I kind of wanted to go over a deal just briefly. Yeah. Um, it, it's called district flats. It's 112 units. We bought it like right when COVID hit. Okay. So we closed mm-hmm. March 26, 2020. Oh, wow. So like, so we were like two weeks into the, the shutdown, so to speak. Um, and, and the reason I want to go over this deal, Ryan, is because it, it's, it's 112 units. It's all studios and ones. It's a chiller. Right. So it basically mm-hmm. checks every box of what you people say you don't want. Oh, you don't yeah. want studios and ones. You don't want flat to chill. roofs. It does. Yeah. Flat roofs. Yeah. yeah. There most, you go. Checks all yeah. the boxes. Chiller, flat roofs. And, and most of the assets in Phoenix are flat roofs, by the way, the, the, the <laughs> flat uh, foam elastomeric roofs. And so yeah. with this deal, I'm not going to go into the returns. I can't solicit for SEC compliance reasons. But, you know, we, we did really well on it. You know, it was a home run. We sold it in 13 and a half months. We bought it in March 2020 and we just mm-hmm. sold it in May of 2021. I mean, we're actually doing a 1031 exchange so investors can defer their capital gains into another off-market deal we have. But this deal was sourced completely off-market with no competition through a broker relationship. And the reason I wanted to highlight it, Ryan, is because we only renovated nine units. You know, So mm-hmm. the play on this one was because we, rent, we acquired it off-market, it was being managed 
by an institutional level management company that manages mm-hmm. class A properties, right? And so basically what we did is we, we replaced the management company. You know, we significantly cut the payroll line item expenses and the admin expenses. And then we just really aggressively pushed the marketing and leasing and burned the loss to lease. Off. Okay. So in Phoenix, because it's such a strong growth market, you know, as a, as an owner, if you're not pushing your rents to market the last two, three years, you're, you could easily be 20 to 30% below market. Okay. Yep. And so, so, so it was really a combination of, of operational efficiencies and improvements. We only renovated nine units of the 112, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we had a significant return that justified us selling it in 13 and a half months. And so yep. my point is, is that, you know, you can't, a lot of people look at these features. Oh, I don't want studios anymore. I don't want a chiller. Um, I have to renovate X amount to make the deal work. No, that's not the case. You know, you have to look at all the different factors and you have to really take a sophisticated approach, you know, to the operation um, because that deal worked and it actually was less risky because when you have a deal that requires that you renovate a big chunk of the units, well, your, your execution risk is staying on schedule and on budget with those renovations, which is yeah. one of the biggest challenges, right? On this one, we had virtually nothing to the exterior. We renovated nine interiors um, and, and we just basically burned loss to lease, cut the expenses and improved marketing. Yeah. And, leasing. And, that's, and that's what helps. So that's, I like to tell people about that because it's, it's not what most people think of, um, but you can make these deals work in different ways. Yeah. You know, and a lot to unpack there. I mean, NOI is what you're trying to, to maximize when you, when you sell something. And there's two parts to the NOI. There's the income side yeah. and there's the expense side. And you guys yep. sounds like you were you were attacking both ends of that one. You know, trying to reduce the expenses while you know bringing the the income levels up. And and something else that I'll mention, I mean, the fact that you renovated nine is also significant because there's the the unit self comp. You know, so you're leaving meat on the bone, but it's a yep. demonstrated rent increase. You you renovate nine, and you can show the next buyer, hey, we put twelve k or fifteen k into each one of these units, here are the rent bumps we achieved. And if you do this to the other 103 units, exactly. you're gonna get the same rent bumps. And yep. incidentally for, for the listeners um, on his website, it'll be in the show notes. The details of the property are, are on there. So you can find purchase price, you can find the yeah. returns and everything else. So, so yeah, check it can. out, highly recommended. Um, while he was talking about it, I brought it up and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty little place. So uh, moving on. One question that I really like asking, you know, what's next for you? Yeah. So our, our goal as an organization coming into 2021, because we were frustrated last year, like probably most multifamily yeah. people were with COVID, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like getting injured as an athlete. You know, you have no choice. You're <laughs> on the, the sidelines. You're, you're, yeah, not you're on playing. the sidelines. Exactly. Yeah. The, deal, the deals, deals froze up and we feel like we were hitting our momentum. So we, we set a goal last year to acquire 250 million of new multifamily assets in Phoenix in 2021. And so after we close what we have under contract by end of August, we'll be around 2.30. You know, we've been very blessed to get good off-market deal flow, good momentum with our investor base to make that happen. And so we've been syndicating all of those um, and, and building out the infrastructure and becoming, quote unquote, a real company with employees and office, which has been really fun. You know, we, mm-hmm. like, I mean, like we just talked about, Brian, you don't really make a lot of money in the front end. Now we're to the point where we converted to an S-corp last year. All mm-hmm. of us take salaries, um, which is nice. So our goal going into next year, 2022, is to acquire $1 billion of new multifamily 
in the Phoenix market in 2022. And we want to allocate 500 million to our syndication platform, which we feel confident we can achieve now that we're kind of building out the infrastructure and, you know, Bikran and I don't have to spend so much time in the weeds on a lot of these things. And we're going to allocate 500 million to a JV equity structure where we partner mm-hmm. with like private equity groups. So, you know, our goal um, this year, third, fourth quarter is to get at least one or two deals done with a JV equity partner so we can get the docs done, you know, get comfortable to really crank it up next yeah. year. Because we, we feel like right now between the 20 to $50 million purchase price, you know, we're getting the first look at a lot of these properties off market from like the top five, six brokerage groups. And our, our last yeah. eight acquisitions now have been completely off market, no competition. And that's really kind of how we operate because that's the only way we can make these deals work most yeah. of the time. And so we feel like there's a huge opportunity in Phoenix. There's so much inventory, the 50 to hundred plus million dollar purchase price. We know operationally and construction wise, we can execute and do the same exact business plan, right? We just can't, we just, it's too big for us to raise the equity. So we feel like if we can have that JV equity arm to our company, we can really capitalize on that piece of the market as well. And and this year, you know, we've taken construction management in-house. So the first, first year we were relying on, the third-party management company to do all the renovations, construction. Now we have a director of asset management, a construction coordinator, where we basically bid out all the vendors, exterior paint, electrical, et cetera. And then we have third-party construction companies that we personally manage. Okay. So we're on site every single day with our staff managing these companies and, and these construction crews to make sure they're staying on schedule on budget, which is, which has helped a lot, you know, yeah. hitting our pro forma rents. Um, and so, that's been going well, but as we continue to scale, we want to have more control over that so that we're not at the whims of construction companies. So we're actually going to be in the next 60 days, we're going to start a construction company, um, get a general contractor license and actually hire our own skilled workers so that we have full control you know, over their time and energy and, and develop our own construction crew. So you know, that, that's kind of the plan is to build that yeah. out, um, develop these, these larger institutional equity relationships while also scaling our syndication platform. So that's, that's kind yeah. of where we're going, you know, as a, yeah. As a wow. I mean, that, that's, there, there's a whole lot to unpack. There are a lot of, a lot of gold nuggets that, that were dropped, uh, you know, so, so as far as the, the JV equity, you know, when, when you're looking at that purchase price, you know, it's a lot easier to go out and find, you know, one group that can write the eight, 10 or $12 million check, which is what you're talking about. Something else I'd like to highlight is, you guys have, have developed relationships with brokers, but not only that, you developed a reputation of closing on these properties. And that's why you're getting the first look. I mean, the brokers are coming to you first. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I'm not a broker, but if I were a broker, I would try to get something sold as quickly and for the least amount of work possible. And that's what most brokers do. I mean, they get something that size, they know you're interested, they know you're going to close, and they pick yep. up the phone and call you. All right. That's kind of the, that's like the holy grail of acquisitions right there is to have that reputation yeah. and the relationships with the brokers for them to call you first. And, and, and the third thing I should, I should have made a list. I could probably dissect dozens of lessons learned from that. But uh, the third thing is the vertical integration. And one of the things that, you know, we've struggled with is, is our renovation plans going through that third party property manager. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, every, yeah. and you, as you know, Brian, every third party manager company will tell you they can do it. You say, Oh, can you crank out 10 units a month with quartz countertops? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. And it never happens. Right. And so yeah. I think everybody's experienced this and it's like a natural mm-hmm. evolution where you have to take more control of that to really, you yeah. know, scale, so to speak. And that's, 
that, that's something that internally, you know, we have talked about doing ourselves is, is hiring somebody who can be that construction manager, you yeah. know, and, and doing exactly what you're doing right now. I don't think we are, we're at the scale right now where our company can support it, but we will get there. You know, we'll, we'll have that, yeah, that construction manager in-house eventually and, and have that vertical integration, which what it's going to do for you guys is it's going to streamline things. I mean, yep, you're paying more in salary but you've got more control, which means you can do quicker churns and time is money when it comes to that, you know, and you control everything because they all work directly for you. So anyway, a lot, a lot of great stuff there. We're going to shift gears a little bit and bring Rowena on. So that said, Rowena, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian, for having me. I really appreciate it. This is my first podcast, so yeah, people for well, the opportunity. Yeah, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, reaching out and you know, it's been nice getting to know you over the week. You know, we had a couple of couple of been on a couple of calls together. So great. So I know you're from San Diego and you know, one of my favorite places in the, in the world to live, but tell us a little more about yourself. Yeah. Um, I was born in Norfolk, Virginia. My dad was mm-hmm. in the Navy. Didn't spend too much time in Norfolk. I moved over to San Diego and pretty much lived here all my life. Two so, big Navy towns, by the way. So, I mean, I couldn't yeah. have guessed. Yeah. So I'm a wife and mother of three. I work a full-time job as an electrical engineer, a licensed engineer for the local utility company here. So three years ago, I was looking at my financial situation. I wasn't really happy where we're at. It was almost like we were living paycheck to paycheck, even though my husband and I, we both have pretty stable jobs. But you're also in San Diego. And I'll tell you, you know, husband and wife have to both have stable jobs to do well there. So I, I think you're you're still within the normal of the San Diego. But anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> So I was looking at different avenues of making um, supplemental income, came across this guru that was trying to sell like buying laundromats with no money down. So I was spending weekends like going to different laundromats that were run down and trying to figure out how I can uh, negotiate a lease Mm -hmm. from the owner. And that never panned out. So came across bigger pockets. And that's what kicked off my real estate journey. First, I started off with investing in single family properties, Mm -hmm. invested out of state in Indianapolis uh, because prices here in California. Yeah. They're too high to um, cash flow. So mm-hmm. purchased my first rental three years ago. And the next property I ended up flipping because the rehab costs came out to more than I expected. Mm-hmm. And the next four project uh, projects after that I flipped as well. Yep. And then completed two birds after that. And was starting to get burnt out. I was taking a lot of time away from my family. So I was, um, got introduced to multifamily syndications by mm-hmm. one of my mentors. And it was just eye-opening to me. Like I can invest as a limited partner, mm-hmm. make double-digit returns, and get that passive income that yeah. I've been looking for. That's yeah. what um, started my journey in the multifamily. Nice, yeah, a lot, lot of goodness there. A lot of good stuff to unpack. I mean, my second investment property was in San Diego County. You know, I, I bought a house, lived in it for two years, and and moved out. And I intentionally bought it to be a future rental. But the big mistake that I made is I didn't even look at rental prices when I bought it. Owned the place for nine years. Never once did I cash flow. You know, net not one single month did I have a net positive cash flow on the place. So yeah, I, I think you were smart to start looking in other markets. You know, Indianapolis is is a little bit far away. Um, so I'm just curious, why why Indianapolis? Yeah, more for the price to rent ratio. I didn't have a lot mm-hmm. of cash to invest in. So it's really a lower barrier to entry. Okay. So you look at the price to rent ratio. You, I assume you looked at a lot of markets. 
you settled on Indianapolis, you, you had a couple of rentals, you did a couple of flips, you got the ball rolling and sounds like you realized this is transactional. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it probably helped your guys' bottom line, but you said the word that a lot of people who get into that business say, you know, you got burned out, you know, it was just a little, a little too much. So that, that's great. So what, what are you looking to do with multifamily now? What's, what's your goal? Yeah, my goal is to become a general partner, focusing on raising capital and mm-hmm. asset management. I'm actually nice. looking at the Arizona market, so happy to have uh, meet Zach on this podcast. Yeah, let's talk. I mean, yeah, call me anytime. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and Arizona is just a quick drive from San Diego. Um, you know, when I was in San Diego, yeah. stationed there, my my brother lived in Gilbert, Arizona. So I've done that drive a couple of times. But so Rowena, before before we get you asking questions, what's your big burning why? What's your motivation for all of this? Big burning why, as I mentioned, I have three kids. I want to get that time and financial freedom to spend more time mm-hmm. with, with my kids. And I want to build yep. a solid a financial legacy for our family um, and yeah. provide them opportunities that I never had. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome. And that's that's one of the reasons I did it. I, I realized I was not spending as much time with my kids as I wanted to. But uh, um, that said, Rowena, we got Zach on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah, Zach, um, congratulations on the success. You've uh, really scaled pretty quickly. I'm really, that's amazing. I did want to ask, I, I did do some research on you and you you had mentioned in some of your podcasts that you've gone from a lot of different careers uh, before you settled on real estate and not a lot of people do that. So I just wanted to ask you, like, what inspired you to go into different career paths until you found what your true passion was? Yeah, no, thanks, Joanna. First of all, thank you for the kind words. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, my trajectory or path was I I had a football scholarship at a high school. Um, and so I like wanted to be a football player. And then I just wasn't good enough or big enough. So I, I had to come back and I was like, okay, well, I like sports. So I want to be a sports reporter. So I got a journalism degree. And then once I once I got the degree and I started realizing, you know, what it's like to work in the industry, it wasn't what I thought. Right. So it, you don't make hardly any money. I thought these guys must make tons of money because they're on TV. Not the case. Right. Um, you work crazy hours. It's very political, you know, and this was I graduated in 2013. So it's nowhere even near where it is now. Um, but it was still political back then. Um, and I was like, man, this is not what I want to do. I remember I was delivering medical equipment like full time nights and weekends going to school. And I had also finished an internship at the time with like a, a radio station, which was nationally syndicated for like a pretty well-known show that aired on ESPN radio and stuff. And I got offered a job to be a producer. And so once I was fortunate enough to do that, you know, I just realized this isn't what I want to do forever, you know, and, and I'm getting, I'm working crazy hours, always on call. It's not what I want to do. So it was kind of like perfect timing for me to exit that company and kind of do my own thing. And I had a lot of motivation and again, a big chip on my shoulder to, to do my own thing because of that. And it was all, it was just kind of perfect timing, perfect combination to give me the fuel to do that. And again, when I quit the job, I didn't know I was going to be doing multifamily syndication. I just was thinking real estate, not even knowing how broad real estate really is. Right. I had gotten my real estate license two years prior to quitting that job, but I never had used it and I didn't do any transactions or anything. So that was my only exposure to real estate. So for me, you know, it was just an evolutionary process. And, and there were multiple days where I wanted to quit. Um, I, I doubted what I was doing. You know, I thought, why am I doing this? People asked me that. But then I got to the point where I was like, I wanted it so bad and it had been so long. I was just like, screw it. I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know, to at least get into it. And I don't even care if I lose all my money at this point, you know, because I want to at least prove to myself that I, 
I got it done and not quit. And so, so it was never like a plan, a planned out thing, honestly, it was kind of an evolutionary process. But once I started to learn more and I think, I mean, Brian and Rowena, you probably feel the same way. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so many people don't know about multifamily and syndication and the benefits that you can get from this. And, um, you know, coming up in just a traditional middle-class family, you know, it's intimidating and it seems out of reach, right? These are big numbers, big properties. These, you, you think, well, this must be multimillionaires, billionaires that buy this stuff. You don't even realize the structure that there's so many investors involved in all these big projects and that not one guy owns this, but growing up, you think one rich guy must own that building, right? So, so for me, it was just kind of an evolutionary process and figuring it out as I went along and, and through that, it really helped me to grow, you know? And so it was just kind of step by step and to, to get to that yeah. point. Yeah, Rowena, it sounds like you've got, kind of gone through the same steps where, you know, laundromat to flipping to, you know, you kind of kind of been the same exploration process. And, and whether it's multifamily that you land on or not, hopefully you find what, uh, you know, what, what appeals to you and what, what gets you going soon. So, yeah, and it's multifamily even better. Yeah. I love multifamily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a middle class uh, family as well. And we were just always taught as a young kid, you know, go into a, be an engineer, be a nurse, and, you know, mm-hmm. you're not exposed to all the different opportunities that are out there. So yeah. just curious if that was like something that was taught to you at a young age or that's no, that- not at all. Not at all. Yeah. My parents didn't do any real estate investing. They knew nothing about it. It was a foreign language when I brought it up to them saying what I wanted to do. But, but to their credit, you know, they were, they were fully supportive. I mean, they probably had their questions and their doubts too. Um, but I mean, at that point, you know, I didn't really need the support of anybody else. I was just kind of like locked in, but yeah, I had no exposure to it. It was totally new to me. My, my dad was a blue collar worker. And I honestly used to think that, you know, blue collar workers meant you literally wore a blue shirt to work. And my dad did. So obviously I thought he was a blue collar worker, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I did not get exposed to any of that really until, you know what, actually my, my best friend's dad was a doctor and he would occasionally tell us things about, you know, investing and such. So when I, when I read rich dad, poor dad, I had in my mind, you know, pictures of my best friend's dad and my own dad, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I was not exposed to any of that. I also wanted to ask you, Zach, what are your company's core values? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, this is a good question. I think this is really important because with in this day and age of social media and all the podcasts and everybody's a mentor and a guru, I think it's easy to forget about the investors and the operations. And so, I mean, our biggest thing is we always view ourselves as stewards of investor money and that it's, we have a fiduciary responsibility, you know? So, so one of our, our main core values is to truly care for the investors and grind it out to make sure that these deals are performing. Cause that, that's one of the biggest things. And I, I guess I could be sound like a hypocrite cause I'm, I'm on a lot of these podcasts now and people invite me, which I like to do. It's fun. But there's just a lot of like phony people. And I think that people represent themselves as being an expert. And then I'm hearing from investors all the time who've invested with different people that these deals aren't performing. So for us, you know, we want to be legitimate, so to speak. We want to be the real deal, really in the operations, making these deals actually perform. We don't want to just close deals to do social media posts and, and go about it that way. So, I mean, Truly everything we do, and, and, and I guess anybody could say this, but it really is investor centric. And, and a lot of this is credit to, you know, my partner, Bikron, who's in the office next door. That's why I'm referencing over here. Bikron and his fiance, Alice, do all of our investor reporting distributions. And we just get tons of compliments on that. So, you know, the, the investor first really is important. Now that we're starting to become, you know, very fortunate 
and we're actually making money as a company, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're giving back to the community. And because we're focused in Phoenix, we're making a point to donate to local local Phoenix. Okay, so I mean, we joined this year. We joined the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, um, which is like a five hundred one c three, which basically it, it, it's all focused on building Arizona businesses and attracting companies to Phoenix. Our goal for 2022 is to really have like a philanthropy division. And my wife, Grace, she wants to lead that. So she's been focused primarily on marketing. So she does all of our mailing campaigns, social media. She has now created relationships with some of the top local media outlets. So whenever we close a deal, we have news. She sends out a press release that she creates um, and is now able to leverage those relationships. Well, she wants to kind of pivot from doing that into focusing on, on philanthropy and how we can support, you know, different causes. So, I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're really passionate about is children and like sex trafficking and, and trying to stop that. Okay. So, so that's going to really be a focus as we start to build this up. Um, so those, those are probably two of the biggest things is, you know, investors and then investing back into the community, not only because we're local, but, you know, I think it just helps your local economy too. You know, I think from my perspective, a lot of people get caught up in like donating to places overseas or really far away. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if everybody focused on their local economy or their area, then in theory, that should take care of, of most of the issues. So those are kind of some of the, the core values. Good, that we point. Good point. Uh, I like the idea of giving back to your community. I also like the idea that, uh, you know, you and your wife are in this together and you said one of your partners and his, uh, I just say fiance, um, are, yeah. are also in, the, in, in it together. So that's great. Hey, Rowena, we got time for one more question. So, you know, if you got a silver bullet left, time to shoot it right now. Yeah, Zach, what would what advice would you give to someone that's looking to invest in a competitive market like Arizona? Yeah, and do you, and good question, do you mean as an LP or like a general partner trying to be as a GP? GP. Good question. You know, I think that, I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I think when you're getting started, regardless of the market, you need to find the complementary partner, right? That really benefits you because there's so much that goes into that, not only complementing strengths and weaknesses, but the camaraderie and the momentum. But when you look at, when you're looking at a competitive market, you know, you're not going to start off getting off market deals, right? So we had to build up to that. So for somebody like you, Rowena, who says you want to get into Phoenix, what I tell people, we had a meetup a couple of years ago, right? We had a meetup for over a year. We built it up to the point where we had over hundred people come to this meetup. I have all these people come to me say, I want to get into this. I want to do this. And I would see them month after month after month. A year later, they come say the same thing. And I say, okay, well, how many brokers have you talked to? How many deals have you toured? How many deals have you underwritten? How many offers have you made? And most of them said none. And I said, well, are you serious then? Are you actually, do you actually want to do this? Because you have to crank volume to do this, right? It's, it's a grind. We, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I would bet money we probably lose more deals than anybody, or we're in the top three in the market because Bitcron has now become a machine at underwriting. I'm constantly touring deals with brokers and we're making offers on deals constantly. We're, we're losing, we lost the deal this week. We're, we're always losing invest and final. It's because we're cranking the volume. You know what I mean? So I think when you want to, when you want to enter a competitive market, it's almost like you have to think of yourself as you are marketing yourself to the brokers. Okay. And initially they're going to be like, who are you? I don't want to waste your time. And you have to get over that fear, right? You have to you you have to think of it as these brokers. They do want to do tours because it shows their seller that they're getting traction, that they're working for the seller. So don't hesitate to tour properties, but you have to be relentless and crank the volume 
Okay. And, and, and that means that one person, and you're obviously out of state, Rowena. So that means if you come in, you know, once a month or once every two months for a day and just crank out property tours, and then either you or, or you have a partner who's constantly underwriting deals. So you can promptly give feedback to the brokers. And the reality is, is you're going to probably lose 99% of those deals, right? Cause to, I mean, these deals are a needle in a haystack, you know, whether it's Phoenix or anywhere in the country, it's hard to find deals that pencil and make sense. But what happens is these brokers will start to respect you because they see the work you're putting in. They see that you're competitive and that you're, you're pushing it, pushing it. And you don't have to close the deal to get an off market. Once you start to develop that rapport, simply by going through the exercise, giving them feedback, they start to respect that and they might throw you an off market deal or just throughout that process, you're going to, you're going to advance and improve as an underwriter at understanding of the market. And I tell people now, that most people that come to Phoenix and probably a lot of places in the country, they won't even know a good deal when they see one, right? Because everything is so tight. If you don't know how to underwrite and you don't know all the assumptions to use, then you're not going to make, you're not going to be able to make it work. And so I think you only get to that point by repetition, just like with anything. So you have to just kind of be relentless with the volume. Don't hesitate to, to reach out to brokers, tour deals, underwrite and send offers. Don't hesitate to send an offer, even if you know it's well below what the asking price is because they still have to present it and you never know how competitive that deal is. I mean, there was a deal a couple of weeks ago, it was like 150 units and there was only like three offers on it, which is, which was shocking. You know what I mean? The brokers told me. And so in Phoenix, there's so much inventory right now that, yeah, there's a lot of competition, but a lot of the competition can't underwrite every deal. They're getting spread out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we just, we just won our first marketed deal about four weeks ago. It's the first time we've won a marketed deal since August of 19. And it's not because we're not trying, we're constantly competing. And I found out later that one of the groups we had just lost like two other deals to recently, they weren't even competing on this deal because they were too busy. You know what I mean? And if they were, they probably would have blown us out of the water like they've been doing. But, but because we just go through the process every time we're consistent, you know, we, we grab whatever we can, you know, we, we take advantage of the inches, the kind of like football now, the game of inches, you have to just kind of grind it out. So that, that would be my advice is to just really pound it and just be consistent over time with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say one of the big things that moved my trajectory forward was, you know, traveling, you know, I, I lived in DC at the time and I made an eight hour drive to South Carolina. I toured three properties. I was trying to have like, you know, 10 property tours that week and trying to line up as many, as many meetings with brokers as I could. And most brokers basically told me, nope, nope, not going to take time. Nope, nope but I got two brokers that would show me properties and I made the trip and guess what? One of those properties ended up being our first deal. So, you know, a lot of it, you know, like like Zach said, you got to put in the sets, the the reps and sets, you got to, you know, travel to the market you're in, show your face and show the brokers that you are serious. And, you know, eventually they'll see you as a contender instead of a pretender. I mean, Okay, that sounds corny, but uh, <laughs> I like um, it, Brian. I like. I it. did say it. I did say it. So there we go. Well, we're we're out of time. So one quick question for both of you, and Zach, you're going to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, thanks, Brian. So yeah, you can just go to our website, rise48equity.com. R I S E four eight equity.com. You can email me, Zach Z A C H at rise48equity.com. And then if you if you want to set up a call, um, if you have any questions. Um, you can go on our, our website and set up a call through Calendly, and then we jump on a call. I'm happy to help however I can. All right. We'll put the website information and his email address in the show notes. So if you're interested, check it out. Rowena, same question for you. Yeah, you guys can reach me at 
true, T-R-U, purposecapital.com. Or you can email me at truepurposecapital at gmail.com. All right. And we'll put that information down in the show notes. And if you're interested, definitely reach out to her. All right. That said, thank you to both of you for coming on the show. Very much appreciate your time and and your flexibility. And uh, this is going to be a great episode. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.